hello and welcome to the green team of the legendarium where patrons of the main podcast get together to talk about books and topics the main crew hasn't gotten around to yet i'm little red book and today i have with me chesky otherwise known as josh of the libromancy podcast hello i also have with me lammy lambs otherwise known as mike from the cosmere deep dive podcast hello internet tonight we'll be discussing zoe's tale the fourth book in the old man's war series by John Scalzi. Of course, we're going to have spoilers for the first three books of Old Man's War starting right up front. And really, we can't discuss this book at all without mentioning that this is a comp- companion book to The Last Colony. It's basically all that's missing from all the missing narrative from the main story. I have thoughts, but first, let's rank it on a five-star scale. Mike? All right. Um, do you guys remember what I ranked Last Colony? Like four and a half? Something like that? I think so. Yeah. Uh, on its own, this is like two and a half. When read at like right after the last colony, three and a half. Oh, that's more generous than I am. What about you, Josh? Uh, I would give this one a three and a half. I would give this one a three and a half. I liked it a lot more than the last colony, but whether that's just because I kind of knew everything that was going to happen and it was just nice to see it from a different point of view or, you know, a different reason, but I did enjoy it. So three and a half. Oh, wow. So I rate it four stars. Wow. Which surprises me that, um, yeah, wow. Yeah, no, I thought it was four stars. I have some issues with it, but we'll get into that later. So how do you feel about the hard shift to an exclusive one-person narrator? Because the other books switch back and forth between third and first-person narrator. And it's a very aggressively teenage girl voice. I wonder if that's why I liked it better. I really liked her voice. I really liked being with Zoe and Evan being all from her point of view. So I don't I don't think that's why I disliked it. I just I I really liked having it just be that one person that you never have to you're not jumping back and forth. It's always that one person. You see their change. I liked it. I like that. Yeah I've got I've got no issues with with the perspective. Like Zoe's a fun character to be in the head of. So fun. She is. And I think I so easily identified with her because I remember being a teenage girl. It was many, many, many years ago. But a lot of the things that she's going through, um, I can totally relate to. And maybe and like I said, maybe that's why I like the book more. It it, it has a couple really major flaws. I think that um, ooh, now I'm going to talk myself down from my four stars. Everything is just a little too convenient. Everything works out just a little too pat. Does that make sense? I think I think I get you. Yeah. If I didn't have the last colony before this, I might think that. But seeing it from both sides, kind of, it didn't bother me that much. Mm, the whole end of the book was just a little too pat for me. So anyway, anything else before spoilers? Oh. Not for me. Okay. So I am doing this off the cuff, so it's going to be extra specially fun. And so this is told, this is the last colony told from Zoe's perspective. They land on the planet. She gets a boyfriend. The Oban start training her in physical and uh, self-defense. And because she finds out that she's, there's been six attempts (laughs) of assassinating her and she didn't know about it. And then we have the whole communication thing where the Oban don't tell people what they know because they can't for reasons. And she breaks up with her boyfriend and then they get back together. He writes her a poem and then is killed in a missile attack. And then she's asked to go warn the general of what's his name again? General Gao. General Gao. General Gao. That he's going to be assassinated. You clearly have never played Final Fantasy VI. I don't play video games very often. (laughs) And that's one of the places where your podcast always loses me. When you start talking about video games, I'm like, oh, no. Anyway, um, so 
General Gao, she has to go warn him that he's going to be assassinated. And then she uses her power over the Oban to get them to go get a kanju. That's what Kansu. Kansu. Not a kanju. Whatever. Kansu. And a whole bunch of people die. She has guilt. And then there's a battle. And then everything comes together. And she gets the magic thing to go back to and save her planet. Mm-hmm. So that's the book. Oh, and then they have to evacuate. And they're going to go live with General Gao now. At least for a while. Well, they think about it. Well, we we know what happens because yeah. it happened yeah, at the end of the last the colony. No, no. The end of the last colony happens after the end of this book. Do you remember what happened in the end of the last colony, Brad? No, I've read like five books and done two podcasts since then. <laughs> so <laughs> So remember how they remember how they go to Earth and bring the CDF to Earth? Oh, that's right. Yes. I yeah. Do. So, no, no, so no, in between the, not yeah. the CDF, the uh well, the conclave. No, yeah. Yeah, the conclave to Earth, not the CDF. So that's where that's in between. They live with General Gao for a bit, then they all go to Earth after that. Though they do technically kidnap General Rybicki and take him to Earth with him. So, you know what? Yeah, they did bring the CDF to Earth. <laughs> yeah. So, because I have failed in my due diligence as a podcast host, having yeah, only read right. this book once, I am turning the hosting chair over to Lamy. All right. So, I guess I'll just go through the questions I had in the order I had them. Uh, so, let's get this out of the way. Red, this is primarily toward you, but... <laughs> Chesky, feel free to jump in. Where'd you cry in this book? Because you did. We know you did. I, I did. Because I, I cried. did. Yeah, yeah. So um, I cried at work while I was listening to it this morning at the funeral, obviously. And the part where she reads the poem that the last thing he wrote, her boyfriend wrote to her about how I want, I belong to you and and like a heart and like hope and like a kiss and I hope that you belong to me that way too and it's very nearly a proposal of marriage (laughs) Um, and then at the very end when she's saying goodbye to the world to Roanoke and she's like thinking of all leaving all of her friends and she's like kisses the window and closes the shade so anyway at the very chesky I did not cry at that part I didn't even blink an eye at the funeral like I knew it was sad but uh, didn't didn't touch me mainly probably because I didn't read that poem very diligently. But that's just not me. Uh, no, I oh, it's, cried. It's a, it's a poem. It's it's like lyrics in a Tolkien book. You just you just skate right past it. That's right. You just you start. You see where it starts and you see where it ends and you skip it. No, I I I breezed it and I kind of read it, but it doesn't have as big of an impact on me. Uh, no, the part I cried about was when the Kansu was talking to her and he's like, "Hey, you know, I finally got all the people here, the convicts, to kill the Oban." But if you just tell all your Oban to commit suicide right now, I'll just give you what you want. No questions asked. And then she's like, she thinks about it. And she's like, I could, I don't want to. And then she goes and like talks to every single Oban that's going to fight for her and gives them a hug and tells them that she's proud of them. And they all like say their thing back to her. Like, it's an honor for me to fight for you. And like, this is so cool. And then I don't remember the line exactly, but it's like, so then you know, they went and had their fight and it wasn't even close. You know, it's yeah. just like that, like that shivery goodness of like, and so they, they won that way. And I like that. And I cried. That's why I cried there. I was like, why am I crying? This is like, it's sad, but it's not even like sad, sad. It's more like endearing, sad and like proud, sad. Like, so. I 
I didn't yeah. actually cry, but I did get choked up a little bit. Oh, I cried. I cried. My wife came and dropped me off cold medicine afterwards, and she's like, do you look like you've been crying? And I'm like, yeah, it was a really touching part of the book. Like, just don't ask about it. <laughs> it is so good. It is a very good part of the book. Uh, mine Blaming. were the funeral, the poem, the poem funeral, uh, and also <laughs> Chesky's, Chesky's bit where she's she gives, like, the big impassioned speech to the to the open. Huh. Those are my two points. Not the leaving. Not leaving Roanoke. That one didn't get me. Yeah. Oh, that one got me. I mean, she's saying goodbye to her friends. She's finally got a new home, and it's being taken away yet again. And how many times does that happen in her life? We have well, this station. That actually brings up something that I didn't write about, but I did want to talk about, which is, did Zoe actually have any friends on Huckleberry? We don't see them, but we don't see her perspective from Huckleberry. Yeah, it, it starts when they're, like, on the ship to Roanoke. Well, that's, okay, this was, like, my one little nitpick with the book, is that sometimes it moved back and forward in time, near the beginning. After the beginning, yeah. like, half of the book, or third of the book, it was very straightforward. But the beginning half is, like, they're on the Magellan, and they're all, they know they're all lost. And then it goes back to when they're on Huckleberry, and General the general comes and visits them, and they... She sees him standing out in the field talking and then goes back to the Magellan and then goes back to Huckleberry. And then, so it was just, I didn't enjoy that as much. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did you guys yeah. remember that? Yeah. But then after it was like continuous, that was great. I loved it. So it's like very small nitpick on that. Well, I only bring this up because like her relationships with the people on Huckleberry are not Huckleberry. Um, Roanoke are like the core of the story, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but as far as I can tell, like, she had no relationships worth mentioning from Huckleberry. And it, it seems weird that she'd go from, from the one extreme end to the other. It's I, true, because she's not, like, messaging her friends, like, from Huckleberry when she's on the Magellan before they skip or anything like that. But, I don't know, sometimes a clean break is what's required. <laughs> I just, I feel like we didn't get enough of her on Huckleberry to really know. The answer to that question that's what i would say okay uh so i'm gonna skip that one because i want to get back to it later uh chesky does mm -hmm. you you in our last recording you had some issues with the last colony where there were like multiple plot points that just sort of stopped and and the book was like we're not going to tell you how but this got resolved so don't worry about it did yeah. did this work or did this book that contains all of those resolutions, all of those, like, deeper explanations. Uh, did that work better for you, either on its own or, like, read in combination with The Last Colony? I think if you were to read it in combination, it would work really well together. But I also think it worked very well on its end. It was really nice to see how Zoe convinced General Gao, like, that the assassin was coming beyond just, hey, I went and told him, and he believed me, and we stopped the assassin, and now we're here. You know what I mean? And but I brought I a liked... magic box. Yeah, and I brought a magic box that I just happened to get. And it's like, okay, now we know how she got the energy sapper, basically. And I, I like seeing that. So I, I did like I did like that part. Seeing how they dealt with the how she dealt with the werewolves, werewolves in quotations there. Um, that was interesting because they just kind of drop off as well. And so it's nice to see some kind of a, a thing. I don't know exactly how believable that werewolf scene was versus the other one we'd seen, but uh yeah, I didn't bother me. And dodgeball, dodgeball got expanded greatly. Yeah, dodgeball <laughs> got expanded greatly. 
But dodgeball is life. It is. We've already established that. With with Zoe making a supercut of all the times that Enzo got just absolutely demolished directly in the face by the dodgeball. <laughs> that was such a fun, like, just scenes to have her, to read about her doing that, because it's like, that is something that people who do generally like, who do really like each other, something they would do. Like, look, I could buy all the spots where you were getting embarrassed and, like, beaten up, but, like, I made it for you, and the, it's just, that felt realistic to me, so. And I her watching it. it, like, right after the funeral is is very believable. But I think I would have preferred two books, but split instead of having one just from Zoe's perspective and one from John and Jane's perspective, kind of having those plot lines told together in two books. That's what I would have preferred, I think. So like cut it off at werewolves? Yeah. Werewolves be the end of book one and then like, yeah. Yeah. Surviving Roanoke and then dealing with the conclave in a second book. Yeah, yeah, that makes that yeah. makes sense to me. Uh, so then, yes, that that leads to my next question: of Do you guys believe wait, the wait, authors wait. noted? No, nope, you got more. Okay, I got more about werewolves. Yeah, tell I, me about I werewolves. I I agree with Chesky. I don't quite buy the resolution, but I like the fact that she got to kick the crap out of Gretchen's Magdy. boyfriend. Yeah, that was so good. And <laughs> I just love that, and and I like the exchange of gifts where she gives her pendant to her well she calls him her well her werewolf and then um he gives her the stone knife i i like that part too but the fact that she never gets around to telling her parents about it i don't but she does have hickory tell her parents i know no yes yes no she has gretchen no because oh she has gretchen tell him she has gretchen tell sorry but that's like what weeks afterwards or whatever so that part didn't like that part didn't bother me so much because if if you had told her parents about it then you'd be wondering well why didn't i see that from john's perspective in the first book that i'd already read so he couldn't he couldn't just be like and then she told me that she did this because she didn't do it in the first book. which is why i i would prefer to see the narrative the way i described yeah that's that's fair So then, do you guys believe the author's note at the end that The Last Colony was completely written and published, and then, later, separately, he got the idea to write Zoe's Tale? No. Or, or are you guys on, on Team Lemmy of, no, John Scalzi is lying to us. He, he very definitely, at, at bare minimum, outlined this as one book with two perspectives. Yeah, I'm on then, Team Lammy for sure. For sure, yeah. because it, the it when you see the way the plots fit together, it doesn't make sense. Especially yeah. with yeah, it just doesn't. In the in the first book, you just like like Chesky was complaining about, you just have these weird drop offs. Like what happens to the werewolves? I think we all mentioned that too in our last episode. I agree. I think I'm on Team Lamy here too. That it had to have been, you know, written as one book and then kind of split into two. But like I mean, splitting perspective wise, right? If you're looking for it, I think you can like spot where where stuff got expanded to like fill space to mm-hmm. to you know get both books to like the length they were supposed to be. Um, but but yeah, in the last colony, you can definitely see like oh yeah, there were supposed to be scenes here explaining other stuff that happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why do you think that it was 
released this way. It seems weird to me. Was it a timeline issue, maybe? I would actually guess it's like a length of book issue. John Scalzi writes books that are this long. Like, he he hits a very consistent page count. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this one would have been approximately double that with, you know, two plots going on and two characters to follow. So I'm guessing just like fairly early in the process, somebody was like, well, why don't we just split this up into two books? But why the way they did it? That's probably because most people are used to following John and Jane throughout or John, at least through the first three and then to go to Zoe for the fourth one would be my thought. You know, it's John, John, John. And then Mm, I don't know. I just think it was a weird choice. John, Jane, John. Yeah. John, Jane, John. Yeah. Like I said, I just think it's a weird choice and I don't understand it. So. Um, All right. (laughs) Next up. Red, this is mostly for you. You had you had some issues previously with a lack of Kansu. So are you better? Are you good? No, no. I think it was, wasn't it Chesky? I mean, yeah, I'm glad to have him back. Um, Man, that was a really, really creepy encounter. Um, so the Kansu is like, well, you can just make him do that thing that you, because they're beholden to you. And it just shows you how above it all they are. Like they think nothing of her telling the Oban to commit suicide. Um, I mean, I they thought it they was... made half the Oban kill themselves the last time they they had yeah, a chat. So. That was actually a problem I did have with the, that plot point, but I'll let um, Chesky say something first. Oh, right. I was going to say, I, I liked seeing the Oban, uh, the Kansu, excuse me. We, all, we see a lot of the Oban, but I liked seeing the Kansu. I thought we learned kind of a lot about them, that the reason they never gave consciousness to the open is because they're trying to, they're trying to get rid of their own consciousness. Basically they're trying to like be that like a monk that just is like so in tune with nature and with the world and with life and the universe. But you really see just like every concept is like super bloodthirsty. Like they have all the power, but the only thing that ever satisfies them is death. Not, you know, if you had all power, which they do basically in this situation, right? Mm-hmm. You, you might want something besides death to satisfy you, but that's that's not what they like. They only care about death. So, and it's weird that they um, are so concerned with losing consciousness and so obsessed with bossing people around. It just seems like a, or it feels that way anyway. Obsessed with like losing consciousness, but that's their end goal: is to just be to be less not conscious because conscious is not the right word. But to be more in tune is kind of how I felt it. And that's why they made the open. The open were perfect or near perfect in their eyes. But I mean, in the state that the galaxy was in pre-conclave, the open were doing extraordinarily well. Like they yeah. weren't overreaching. They, they, they had a reputation that kept every other race from bothering them ever. And yep. yeah, no, like the open were doing just fine. Yeah. So now I said I wanted to go back to a thought and now I can't remember what that thought was. Oh, yeah. So what I didn't buy is that she didn't. She's like, oh, my gosh, all these people died to talk to the Kansu. I'm like, they basically tell you that before this. You even go send them. So her being all shocked and surprised. I, I was like, girl, doctor. She you. was I think she was more surprised with how many had to die for it versus just that they were going to die. But she, but she knew the history. She knew that the last time that they talked to the Kansu, they lost like half their population or something like that. In fact, but I was she's surprised a teenage was, girl. 
So she would forget that kind of a thing. Like that wouldn't have as much of an impact. But it until comes it's... up in her conversation with Doc before she. D- yeah, in her in her whole like I demand that you do this for me thing, like it sounds like she's very on board with like you do whatever it takes, and I understand that whatever it takes will mean that some of you will die. Mm-hmm. And but then, it's yeah, it's it's different than saying. Like he's just telling people like, I require this. I demand that you go do this and knowing that they could die and then hearing and learning that they, that people did die because of something you said. I think as a teenager, she probably knew that they were going to die, but didn't like know it, know it in her heart, you know? And then when she's confronted with the fact, like I killed thousands of Oban because of my decision to get the Kansu. She like, and the Kansu killed those Oban. It's about a 50 fit, 50 50 yeah, blame split. It's definitely not just on her because the Kansu are the one who just loved death, right? But she did send them and they were going to do it anyway. So that's why it was prepared. Yeah. But like, and, and see, and that's one of those things. It's like, it's just a little too pat, just a little too pat. We were already going to do this. We already had this plan. Well, they just sped up the, the timeline, it says. But yeah. The Kansu happened to show up to stop a war. Like, just by showing up, she just happens to, I don't know. There's just so many little things like that at the end that it started to annoy me. I, having to work in with the other book, it made it made sense that some things had to just be fi- finished and done and get worked on. So, yeah. All right. Um, I'm actually out of pre-written questions, so off the cuff. Uh, Red, at one point in time, you were a teenage girl. Uh, rate the conversation like rate the dialogue between Gretchen and Zoe on accuracy please they didn't get enough arguments that is my main they were just in, in fairness they had they had annoying boys to argue with first girls get in a lot more arguments than that and they have a lot more falling falling outs they just do we are catty and backstabby and mean um, to each other, we're actually meaner to each other than we are to boys, generally speaking. Um, and I think I talked about this on another podcast. Like, we will fight with each other, but we there is truly that, um, that this is mine sort of thing. So, like, you're fighting with your friends, and then someone else comes at them, and then you immediately make up. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I think it was pretty accurate. That was the only thing that I thought was inaccurate. And I wonder how old John's daughter was when he wrote this book. Uh, nine, it says in the author's really? note at the end. That surprises yeah. me. I would expect her to have been a teenager when he wrote this book. Because there's a lot of stuff that is very accurately teenage girl. But the relationship I mean, between... It's a little too perfect. She is now. like She's in college now. Time, time has passed. She has gotten older, yes. So... Mm-hmm. I don't know. What'd you guys think? What'd you guys think about the relationship between the two boys? That was pretty believable. I mean, you, sometimes there's a smart one and there's a dumb one and you go along with them, but yeah, I've, I've met these guys. <laughs> <laughs> like not necessarily in a like poetry versus stealing your dad's gun, like a moron, but yeah, I, I've met these guys. I love that he almost shot off his own foot. What a dumbass. <laughs> he was he was just so dumb the whole time. I was I, I mean <laughs> I will say that the reason 
why there's a reason why 51% of babies born are boys. And by the time you reach 18, 51% of 18 year olds are girls because boys do dumb things and get themselves killed. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I, um, I know he doesn't want to be a snitch, but why would he even go along with this going out in the woods with rifles? That did not make sense to me, really. Well, he wanted um, to go out there to protect him, you know, to try and stop him from himself. If he can't, if he can't stop him from going out on his own, it's better to have somebody there with him for when he gets into trouble to help him out. But yeah, that's that's sort of Enzo's whole thing with Magdi is can't talk him out of doing the dumb thing, but can be there with him to stop the consequences of the dumb thing sometimes. I was going to say, could he really have stopped him? I mean, the dude's lucky he didn't shoot himself in the foot. <laughs> He's... And here's the other thing. You just don't pick up a firearm. You have to learn how to use them. <laughs> you, don't, you don't just he take a loaded gun and run around with a wall. No, you just don't. That's just dumb. And any, any person who owns guns talks to their children about guns. So that they don't accidentally do something really stupid with the gun. Any person who owns guns should talk to their kids about gun safety so their kids don't do anything stupid. I don't think it happens in every case, unfortunately. I I would think that a colonizer would be smart enough to know that, though. I mean, he's a colonizer. In fact, I'm surprised that all the kids don't know how to use firearms, but... I would think they don't generally use guns in their day-to-day colony life, so it's not really required most you of the time. You gotta man. <laughs> well, that's true, but, like, most of their guns are wireless, right? So they would have had to throw them out. I mean, how many people had old handguns? Like, the CDF guns, they wouldn't have been able to use those if they had them, because they have to link to a brain pal, right? Mm, maybe? I don't know. Yes, because they had to go completely dark. But... Uh, Hickory and Dickory can still record. Yeah, but they're not transmitting. They're just recording. That's, you know, and that's open technology, not not human technology. Because hmm. they didn't transmit any of their recordings out. That's true. Right. And, that was, and they got anti-tech cloaks at some point. Yeah. I did really like uh, Gretchen and um, Zoe's hack into using their PDAs where they're like, we'll feed the printer for you. I thought that was very clever. <laughs> yeah, offering to help. I'm I'm amazed that they're the first people to think of that. Yeah, I am too. Yeah, that's you know. All right, I All had right. I had one question for you guys. Sorry. Ooh, yes, Miami. please. But like we've talked about the themes of his other books before, and I really felt like the theme of this book was belonging. You know, just because Zoe talks about it a bunch, where she's like, you know, what I am needs to make room or like who I am had to make room before in my life for what I am. And now what I am has to make room for who I am in my life. And then she belongs to the open and Enzo belongs to her. And that's kind of like a big thing in their relationship after they get back together before he dies. What did you guys think? Did you guys, did you guys agree that her, there's a talks a lot about belonging and like, what does that mean to be you versus the symbol for the open or, or what? Really? I, I would say it's about nav- navigating identity and all the different roles that you have in your life. So kind of the same. It's I'm... also a, yeah, go ahead. about loss, but I would say identity. I, yes, I would also go with identity over belonging because the, the who I am versus what I am is really like the core, the core thing for Zoe. And it is Zoe's book. 
Like the other relationships she has are are meaningful and and like drive the plot forward and like that's a lot. But the the climax of the book is all about you know what versus who identity. Yeah, and and also there's that the part where she refers to her biological parents as mother and father, and Jan, John and Jane she refers to as mom and dad, mm-hmm. and because that's how she navigates that part of her identity she it's how she still loves her parents and think of thinks of her as her biological parents child but that also she still she thinks of john and jane as her parents as well Mm -hmm. and she just has ways of working through all these very different complex things you know and she resents and she's coping with her resentment with the uh oban just following her around i mean how annoying would that be to have them following you around recording everything be terrible it would be pretty annoying yeah all right um have you guys seen enough gravestones in these books yet (laughs) are you are you good on on visiting gravestones (laughs) or you you need more of that i think if we just visit two or three more i'll be satisfied Uh, (laughs) there's a lot of gravestone visiting yeah that is something i've never understood i mean funerals yes visiting gravestones yeah i i don't get that uh my my sister every year invites me to go visit dad and mom on memorial day weekend um and i'm like "Mm, no i'm good i don't know i don't know i visit i've got i've got in the where i am now i've got a bunch of family and i don't visit them often but i do we do occasionally it's just nice to remember we did it when i was a child when i was a kid we visited them a lot so I don't know, Lammy. Do you visit your dad's gravestones? Nope. Yeah. Not a so not a graveyard them. visitor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. But I mean, I know a lot of people who do. And my my grandmother, when she was growing up, visited her um, father's gravestone every Sunday after church. Like that was just what they did, as they took flowers to the graveyard. It's just not my thing. So I'm I could never see another graveyard scene ever in these books, and I would be just fine. <laughs> Okay, so I have a question. Do you think we were talking about Zoe and the killing of the Oban and stuff? Do you think that, assuming that they hadn't already been planning this, do you think that she was justified in her request? Yes, the the Oban have basically co-opted her childhood. Like they they have taken a decade of her life, and they haven't given her anything in return. So yeah, yeah, they they owe her. I agree that they owe her. It's tough to say they owe her that much death, but again, not really. That's on the Khonsu more than her. She didn't ask them to go commit suicide. So, And actually, compared to the last time they contacted the Khonsu, it really wasn't that bad because it was only 2,500 people that they lost. Yeah, versus half their whole race. Yeah, yeah exactly. By, by Grabthar's hammer. What a <laughs> Oh, no, I want to go watch that movie. <laughs> Um, I would say, yes, she's justified. And furthermore, that's what it's like to be a general. You, you know, people are going to die and you have, people are going to die. You just have to try and make sure that their lives are used in the best way possible. If that makes sense. That sounds really cold blooded, but that's why I'm not a general. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's space war. People going to die. <laughs> Any war, people are going to die. All right. I have two last things before we 
get to get to the closing thing. So if either of you have anything else, now mm-hmm. is the time. Mm, I think that's everything I wanted to say. Pretty sure. Unless something you say makes me want to say something. All right. Then uh, what do you guys want? Like, neither of you have read the fifth or sixth book, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are your expectations? What are your wants? What do you need the next book to be? Hmm. Well, I guess I would want this next book to pick up after they've visited Earth with the Conclave and everybody, I mean, everybody's not going to get along, but maybe everybody trying to get along more and like trying to do some like, maybe it'll be like a co-world, uh, a co-world colonization with two races at once or something. And, and John would have to be just job. a colony there instead of like the leader. He'd just be a colonizer again, but that's already been done kind of. So I don't know. That's what I would think. Something working together with another race and maybe not necessarily with the CDF and maybe even against the CDF would be my kind of prediction as to what's going to happen. Two things, maybe three. I want to, I do want to go back to Roanoke and find out how the humans and the werewolves are getting along, but that's not necessary. That would be the lowest priority for me. I want to find out more about the anti-conclave because it's mentioned in, is it the lost colony? It's mentioned in one of the books that there's, that the humans are trying to get together an anti-conclave. The, the counter-conclave. And yeah, Whatever. it was brought up yeah. a little bit in books two and three. Yeah. Right. So I would like to see more about that. And I want them to pull Earth into the present because the Earth, we, we, we talked about this during the first book. It's very clear that um, the... C, D, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. That the humans in space are keeping the humans on Earth ignorant. And they aren't aware of all this technology. And so I want to see that remedy. What do you mm. want to happen, Lammy? Um, I can't well, say because I've already I read them. <laughs> I don't want to. Well, the people who have been turned into asteroids don't care. They're, I mean, they're not they like mad seem, about they it. They seem like the happiest people in any of these books. Yeah, that's true. They do. <laughs> I'm basically an indestroyed that just floats around and does whatever I want. And like, maybe the asteroids lead a revolt. That would be fun. <laughs> like, I if just you guys remember up. the uh, the Gamaran that was hanging out outside, like in orbit around Roanoke. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. he was working on his master's thesis, right? Yeah, yeah, he was. But yeah, they. I don't those... remember what it was though. What was his master's thesis? I don't know that he even I said no. Yeah, but yeah, those guys seem like by far the happiest people of any species in space and the most well adjusted. Yep. So first of all, I would like to say that uh, if you're going to be in Portland, Oregon on Memorial Day weekend, um, the Legendarium is having a meetup there. You can find more information at Legendarium.com. And now it's time for Shameless Plugs. Uh, Although I guess that was a shameless plug, too. So other shameless plugs. Me, okay, I'll go. Uh, you can uh, find me recording my podcast about fantasy books. Uh, it's Libromancy podcast. I just talk about things I like in books and sometimes things I didn't like in books I've read for 15 to 20 minutes. So, And you can find me uh, every week at the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast uh, where we talk about the Dresden Files. No, no. <laughs> uh, we talk about Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere books. Uh, we are currently 
in Oathbringer. Um, and we've started to do some patron-only content, which may make it to the non-patron feed eventually. I don't know yet. Oh, I was on one of those episodes, too. Yeah, Red Red joined us to talk about... Um, Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. And, and has promised to come back to talk about Through the Looking Glass and maybe mm -hmm. Oz. And on Aliens. the other patron-only thing, we're doing movie sequels that are better than the originals. And she wants to talk about Aliens in a few months. Yeah, this is all. And so I actually have a shameless plug, too. Starting in June, we're gonna, I'm going to be releasing my new um, podcast uh, called Wordless. It's, it focuses on short stories um, in the sci-fi and fantasy genres. And the episodes are going to be about 30 to 40 minutes long apiece. So it's uh, good literature for busy adults. So this concludes our episode. Our music is Galactic Damages by Jingle Punks. You can find us on the Legendarium Discord. The invite link is on thelegendarium.com. We are also on Twitter at Green Team Pod. Join us in supporting the Legendarium via Patreon. Thank you, Craig, for loaning us a little corner of your media empire and a shout out to Horizon Brave for starting it all. Thank you, Chesky and Lammy. For the Green Team, I'm Little Red Book. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. I mean, the commute's kind of long, but like, it's not a hard no for me. <laughs> <laughs> your your wife might have other feelings about that. <laughs>